Welcome to the Get Lusty Podcast. Hello, this is Erica Gregg of Get Lusty. I'm here with Eric Amareth, uh, who is a sex life coach and a protege of the pioneering sex coach Betty Dodson, PhD. So very excited, uh, Eric, to have you on the on the podcast today. Thanks very much for having me here. Awesome. So, Eric, there are just man, there are just so many issues to deconstruct here. Tell us first of all a little bit more about you. How did you get to this space where you are a sex life coach? Well, I wondered if I could become something like a sex coach, even though I didn't even understand that concept back in, let's say, late high school, early college, mid-college, it was kind of a pipe dream because I saw that the culture had a need for people who would professionally teach more about how to create pleasure and how to do that well instead of just fixing the issues due to abuse or the issues due to uh, sex negativity in in your past that gets in your head and prevents you from doing things you want to do. Yeah, that there was a void in the culture. So when I went to college, the psychology faculty there said that there really wasn't a focus on that in psychology as much as there was the other, and there was plenty of sex therapists already out there. So then when I found my mentor, Betty Dodson's book in college, uh, I'd already read a bunch of sex books, sex help books, in bookstores without buying them before I found her book. So I knew a fair amount for my age. And also I did a lot of brainstorming, thinking of like, what if I did this and this and putting ideas together, swapping in and out. It was like, you know, just sort of uh, daydreaming different things that may be possible. And that and the books, I'll have to say in my early beginnings really helped move me forward faster, not just doing what the book said. Because sometimes the books, I try what they would do or what they would say and it wouldn't work. And so I said, okay, I'll have to go out this on my own and kind of use it as uh, inspiration, not just as, you know, the only way. But yeah, once I read read all those books, I read Betty's, and I found that a lot of what she was saying was what I agreed with or was thinking already, page after page, as opposed to a couple snippets in certain books that I agreed with from other authors. And uh, I sent her a letter asking about a section in her book it was a description of a type of intercourse style for men and women and but she didn't go into the specifics so i sent her a guess as to what the specifics were and it was so close you know, almost there was one piece that i left out that she was impressed that a 22 year old male especially from virginia as well could get to that place you know and so she kind of said you know, come up and see me sometime, kind of cutely, you know, whether or not she'd actually have sex or not. But then I started sending her some more, emailing back and forth, some of my ideas about sex, things that I wanted to explore that women my age and locale were not ready to explore. And we got to a place where we met, I went to see her, and we were going to have sex if she was okay once we met and kind of broken some ice to see, you know, if it was going to work out. But this is a woman who, it's not a traditional woman. She did sex, you know, sex parties throughout the sexual revolution in her own apartment, you know, weekend after weekend, and, and, and participated heavily, you know. And so the way she thought about sex and doing it and all of that was 
much more open than a lot of people's or a lot of women's and women at her age you know she was 69 you know when I met her but people always uh, get jittery whenever I mention our age difference but I like to think of it as like Mick Jagger you know there's plenty of women out there that Mick Jagger has had sex with that were you know decades apart from him but nobody had a problem with that even though he looked old because he's Mick Jagger so there's a certain just capability of certain individuals that you can overlook that stuff. So we got connected that way. And then I came back for another visit during spring break. And then I graduated and came back, started working with her as an admin and in a relationship together. And she also taught me, you know, as her longest running and most time with her apprentice. So, so you were her boy toy and her apprentice. Right. <laughs> so we, and, but, you know, as, as far as boy toy, you can look at it that way. But um, it was also mm. a relationship. You know, it was a, a normal, everyday relationship, mm. even though there was those, that difference in years between the two of us. Mm. You know, boy toy implies he leaves at the end of the day, and I see him whenever I'm in the mood. You know, we were living together. So oh, wow. that was a relationship. But anyway, uh, she always said it was crazy what we did because we combined business relationship, teacher relationship, physical, like, love, sex relationship. And it worked for a really long time, you know, in our case. So it was kind of interesting. So, yeah, she opened up all of her notes that she took about all the clients and sessions, uh, group sessions that she'd taken over the years. And I read through those, and I read a massive amount of information about details that can happen in individuals and a lot of people have said about sex that well everybody's different how are you going to help so and so and it's because I for one reason I have a huge raft of little details that I've internalized over the 10 years that I was with her for almost 10 years plus whenever she'd have client sessions she'd discuss them with me you know after the fact and tell me the tidbits that were really important you know, in her professional session. So I was getting first-hand information, which is exactly what I wanted. My idea for working with her and doing this was as an apprentice, not as a grad student, because grad student programs are two years long, you know, let's say, and they don't have the depth of information that my mentor has, pure and simple, because I have examined some of those graduate programs and the information that she gave me was either the same or it way exceeded the depth of what they had because science can only go so far at this mm-hmm. point in history with its you know questionnaires and, and whatnot and its methodology. It just doesn't have the same format. Mm-hmm. So I got, in my strong opinion, a deeper education in this field by working with someone who was already doing it when a lot of those scientists were in diapers, frankly. And, and working with people in the field uh, directly. And that was what I wanted to do, was to open up a new you know, lo- uh, opportunity than just going to school for a degree program in sexology. Then, we, you know, years went on, and I started to work with clients while I was still work with her, and she, you know, under her supervision sort of thing, and learned more that way. We also were not monogamous throughout our relationship, and... We had, because in her view, she said, it doesn't make sense for monogamy to be here because, you know, of our age difference, you have to have your sex life. I can't do this monogamy bit. Plus, this is coming from a woman who's 
in a different place, let's say, when it comes to monogamy, you know, as we've already mentioned. So she is just ready for different life choices. Uh, it's one of the things I can say about people who attack non-monogamy is their perspective is so strong because they don't understand another way of living. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand a, a form of maturity that can happen, which really pisses them off every time I say that. But it's true. Until you've come to that place and been there and gotten into a, a place of balance with it, then you don't understand. And yeah, there's problems that can happen. One of the things that, I know, I'm kind of tangenting here a bit, and I'll come back uh, as soon as I say this. You know, monogamy has its problems, and also non-monogamy does as well. You know, neither system is perfect, and I would say non-monogamy can be more complicated because there's more things that can happen because you're interjecting more stuff, uh, you know, more variables, more unknowns. Uh, but if you have a strong set of rules, you just go by the rules and continue forward. You know, but then there's other things. Like I remember um, having a conversation with Betty once. It almost feels like you're a rocket scientist, but everyone else you're doing the rocket science with has to also be a rocket scientist. If they're not ready for all those variables, then problems can start. So that's where it, I found non-monogamy can create problems. Not big problems, but just, you know... Uh, how everything works and works for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that little commercial for non-monogamy yeah. uh, aside. Really quick on non-monogamy and, and monogamy. That's a super interesting relationship that you had with Betty Dodson. And you noted that you all were non-monogamous. We have couples out there that are monogamous in terms of readers. Uh, we have couples that are non-monogamous. So a majority, if you're a majority of our, our readers, are, are monogamous. And they are... I'm sure very curious on both sides. So you wrote a an article on the uh, why monogamy is sexy. Uh, right. So, um, but you lived in a non-monogamous relationship with uh, Betty Dodson. So, talk about a little bit about the differences that you feel that there are between monogamous and non-monogamous relationships. Do you feel like there are big differences? I know that communication is an absolutely essential component of non-monogamous relationships, for example. Right. I'd say the first difference between monogamous, well, we already know, like I said in my article, all of the downsides to monogamy. And we also can imagine a lot of the downsides to non-monogamy. One of the interesting things about non-monogamy is how Jealousy. I, I kind of divide jealousy into two forms. There is the jealousy when we imagine our a partner with someone else, and it kind of makes you uneasy. And then there's the yeah, okay, I'm cool with watching my partner with somebody else. I think that's hot. And then you jump in and do it, and you're okay. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, comes a much stronger, more intense jealousy just like out of your soul or something. <laughs> and you never know when it's going to happen, even with people who have been doing it for a while. Typically, though, it happens when you see things that are elements that another partner or your partner uh, has, like advantages, like let's say bigger muscles, bigger boobs, you know, better at a blow, some kind of strength that they have that's profound that you don't have. And you see your partner really getting off on that. That's one of the biggest challenges to non-monogamy if you're in the presence of it. But even if you're not in the presence of it, 
if you walk up and meet their partner and you know she has giant hot boobs and you don't and you know that your partner is going crazy over those things then that can hurt that's probably one of the biggest challenges to non-monogamy is when you can't serve a uh, an erotic desire by your that your partner has uh, you know surgery notwithstanding you know in this case but you know and how you deal with that you know can you surmount that can you uh, transcend that to a different perspective and there are ways to do that but as far as the challenges between the two you know being able to do monogamy long term is doable when you have a system in place that gives you novelty if you don't have novelty which is a basic need for the brain it is wired to do that it's not like your brain suddenly switches its mode once you get married in a, in a ceremony it's not magic it operates the same way before you got married in order to get, you know, to attract mates and propagate species. So you have to work with that novelty need. Mm-hmm. And part of that novelty need is getting other things into your repertoire, getting good at them, combining those things, which is another big thing I talk about in my sex life coaching work is combining pleasures, seeing if there's bigger things that can happen with combinations and the advantage to one of the biggest advantages to monogamy is you are with the same person. You know, we get that, but you are with them. Therefore, you get a lot of time with them and you have more time to spend together developing things. During non-monogamy, let's say you see a lover once every two weeks, at most maybe once a week, assuming you're in a non-monogamous, you have a primary partner, but you have lovers. You don't see them every night. So when you're together, you do the stuff that both of you like and you're both good at. Mm-hmm. You don't tend to do the things you're not good at because, you know, you want the big show every time and, and, and big fun every time. That's another thing to be careful with with non-monogamy is because of the novelty factor in your brain, you have to make sure that your brain is not getting, your, your focus is not going too heavily onto lovers because your partnership, your sex partnership with your primary has gone stale or it's not changing or it's not developing or growing. And that was what was interesting in my relationship with Betty and other relationships I've had since hers that were not monogamous was I was able to come home from playing with other women and say, you know what, the grass is pretty green on this side. Because just because you're not with you're with someone different does not necessarily mean it is always going to be better, or that all the things you have with your primary are you know available in that other person. You know, meaning like you know, I kind of wish that I couldn't do this and this and this with her. You know what I mean? Mm. Or with him. You know, whichever way you're looking at it, whichever direction you're looking at it from. And there were a lot of uh, you know times where I'd come home and Betty'd say, "So how was it?" And this very completely not bothered by it kind of voice. And uh, I was like, well, you know, the whole youth thing, we all get, everybody likes having sex with young bodies, we get it. You know, that's a given. But aside from that, you know, it was was pretty awesome to uh, see how sophisticated I could, you know, the things that I could do with you, but I just couldn't do with her. She wasn't ready yet. And she wouldn't be ready for a while without practice, without working together on it. So those are some of the contrasts of what monogamy gets and what non-monogamy, you know, kind of misses out on unless you really start to practice when you're non-monogamous sessions. And I tried to do practice. 
in non-monog with non-monogamous partners or lovers, or later on when I wasn't with Betty when I was single, uh, and I had different lovers. You know, it was kind of the same story. They really didn't want to do much practice. They wanted the big show. You know, every time because we didn't have that much time together, they wanted the best, which makes sense. Yeah, I get it. But yeah, that's some of the, the differences and issues. Hmm. So there are a lot of monogamous couples. So let's talk about some of the um, the challenges in in terms of your coaching. You coach um, monogamous couples. So let's now focus on the um, challenges that you feel like monogamous couples are facing, and what do they come to you with? What are some of the biggest challenges that you see them facing? I would say the big one is just getting new things into the repertoire to avoid the law, law, law diminishing returns, which is that novelty thing again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, like, you got to do various things. Like, uh, different educators will say, you know, you got to get variety. Well, that's true, but they're not dealing with that issue strongly enough. It has to be heavily highlighted as a driving force for why you need to continuously develop a sex life together, you know, as monogamous partners. Because if you don't, then you will inevitably, inevitably uh, get to that sort of stale place. Even if you're if you're awesome at sex, I thought that, like, wow, I am totally immune from, you know, from the novel, from the law of diminishing returns. And it's true. You will feel like that for a long time when you get really good at stuff because what you can do is so powerful. It's definitely not humdrum. So that in itself is very powerful. But what I've noticed in myself and noticed in you know my current partner or past partners, current partner, she, I'll notice that she doesn't orgasm as easily, quite as easily as she did from, you know, the same wonderful, you know, sophisticated gourmet act that I do to her as she did before. And I was like, huh, okay. So, you know, I'd already seen that, but it was just seeing it again and getting another um, uh, another proof, you know, more proof that this is something that you just have to keep going with. And so then I started rotating, you know, all the different things that I could do. And that's when I talk about the clients. You have to create a menu. You have to create a library of different sex dishes, you know, or, or, or books, so to speak, where you can look back and say, all right, well, I've done this for the past couple of months. You know, what if I did this or that, you know, the next few, or I did this last week. What if I pop this out on her again? Now you've already done this together before, but it's fascinating how the brain will, you know, kind of hook back into something you haven't done for a while as being hot because now you have the added spice to it of, oh, I remember that. That was good. Let's do that again. It isn't just the spice of, the primal first time huge you know experience uh, which is very strong and that's why people I find in my work will say I remember this one time where I had this massive orgasm and there were 12 of them and the stars shined brighter and my soul ripped out of my body <laughs> and they're usually describing first time experiences or primal experiences because then they say well that never happened again or it didn't happen the same way and that's because your brain goes wow when it's big and it's the first time because it's the, that's the ultimate of novelty is you know the first time you do something and it's huge mm. so it's that, that's how we work mm. so just know that going into it and I think that a lot of people will enter that will kind of lay a blanket of romance over those first times and put way more weight in it than it deserves because they're just not aware that that's what your brain does 
and it's fine to enjoy those moments, but don't get really wrapped up in them and attached, mm. uh, overly attached by them, because then people start to put pressure on themselves and others for, it wasn't as good as that time, when's it going to be as good as that time? Well, it may never be again, because that is a singular moment. Let's talk about the novelty aspect of being in a monogamous relationship. You've been, say, in a relationship for five years. You've been married for three years. Say, for example. Um, oh, no, no, no. I'm not married. <laughs> oh, okay. No, but I'm saying if, if for our readers, they've been married for anywhere between oh, right. uh, three and uh, 15 years. They want to keep that novelty in their relationship. Definitely, there are a whole variety of ways to keep the novelty and the spice in their uh, sexual relationships. How, in your perspective, do you keep that novelty uh, in those kind of long-term relationships? What, what are some of the ways that you do that? I, I, we recommend dating every week, scheduling time for sex. What are some of your recommendations? Those are both two very good things. I also recommend those things, uh, most uh, more so timing, because sometimes the, it's the time is a problem with the jobs and everything. Mm. Um, just scheduling a date, like a big date, can be not enough. You don't have enough time. So one of the things I do is I hand people an egg timer or I say, pick up your cell phone and use the alarm function on it, which you may never have done before. And, you know, find like 15 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, five's a little short, but you can even do that, uh, of time where, okay, we're not doing anything here. We're just watching TV, screw TV, you know, get together and utilize some of that time. If people use half the time, they use on TV for their sex lives, we have a different world. <laughs> and it's, you know, use TiVo, don't watch stuff, don't be pressured to watch stuff when it comes on, on, on the air. Watch it when it goes to DVD, you know, and then you can do it when you want. But yeah, that's the first thing is just reorienting how you use time and, and utilize time and reprioritize your sex life and say, you know, to hell with the things that are pulling us away from each other. So that's one big issue. You know, that's a huge one. Uh, I've seen clients have massive uh, transformations in their sex lives very quickly and, and learn faster when they just, you know, reorient where their priorities are for time for sex. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. And then as far as going on that old timer thing with 15 minutes, if you can schedule out or you can find 15 minutes of your time to just do something together, you know, it can be something simple. It doesn't have to be intercourse. It doesn't have to be a big full course meal, so to speak. Because that's a lot of what people think is like, well, if I do this, then I'm going to be late for that. Or I have this to do over here and then I'm going to get behind. And that's how sex gets pushed away and aside, even if they don't like it. But what you need to do is just take a snippet of time and do a little something. Even if it's like manual sex, oral sex, a quick little massage, you know, that goes straight into some manual or oral sex. What's manual sex? Hands. Hand oh. jobs, that kind of thing. Okay, all right. <laughs> Just um, to be clear. Know, hand stuff. And what's also strong about those little sessions is you're also getting better at those skills, you know, because you're doing them more often. Because then when you have more time for sex, like when you go on vacation, that's the nationally recognized time for sex and lots of it, assuming you don't have kids or places to put them, um, is <laughs> vacationing. Right. Uh, because people will go into locales that are completely different visually, and that also jogs your brain into like, whoa, things are different around here. Let's do different things. It's weird, but it seems to have that effect when you're in different, you know, uh, in a different room. It almost feels like uh, like you're in a different, you're even transported to a different life, 
and then you want to kind of go there more easily. So yeah, in lieu of vacations to yeah, just schedule more time together and little snippets of time and do the scheduling on your calendars. Uh, you know, we have people say like, well, I don't want to have to schedule sex. That's BS. Uh, if you have a successful, busy life, you must do that, or you will not be having that much sex, and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to let go of that junk, whoever told you that, to get it out of your head and throw it in the trash, because it's not helping. <laughs> and because another thing that will happen that people will complain to me about is, well, you know, I want it to be spontaneous. And that's another thing I talk about a lot with spontaneous versus anticipation, and that our culture is addicted to to spontaneous sex and or the, the, the erotic of spontaneity and I have to teach them things like you can do anticipation like you can text your partner and say do you know what I'm going to do blah 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 whatever's here and you know what not tonight and then you can send them another text today like you know are you, get, are you wet from what I'm going to do to you tonight you know that's anticipation uh, and building that and telling them exactly what you're going to do to them. And that's part of what all that Fifty Shades of Grey does is that he and that type of exchange with sex can be, you know, sometimes very cryptic and you don't know what's going to happen or you know exactly what's going to happen and anticipation is used uh, as a strong tool. But even inside of anticipation, there are moments of spontaneity that will just come out of nowhere. So it's a myth to say that you have to start spontaneous to have spontaneous sex. You can start totally planned, and then out of nowhere, something new will happen that you didn't expect. Mm. We've talked about some wonderful challenges and some uh, rather annoying challenges, shall shall we say, Um, and then some uh, really great uh, responses to those challenges. So I definitely appreciate your opinions and, and love your perspective. So thanks, thanks so much for that. Now talk about what is next for you over the next six to 12 months. What are you excited about, Eric? Well, I have a book that I'm writing and the purpose of the book doesn't have a bunch of sex techniques in it because there's a ton of books already out there in the market that do that. Plus, I like to save a lot of my gems for my clients, but it's a kind of a primer on how you approach getting a sophisticated sex life or shifting your perspective into one that would give you this in a monogamous setting, but it's a majority of people at this point. You know, how do you create that? How do you fashion that? How do you change your perspectives and change your mind on things in order to make that happen? So this, I guess you could say it's a, a pre-coaching to my coaching, so to speak. And also there may be some show opportunities for me in the works. They're working on producers are working on it now and seeing if that's going to go, but we'll see how that flies. Awesome. And continuing forward, you know, with more clients, um, most of my clients I see are talk sessions, is what I call them, and that is growing, you know, exponentially. My guided sessions where I work with clients while sexual activity occurs, still the minority of my clients do that for obvious reasons. You know, not everyone's ready to, you know, for that, but I've seen, you know, growth with that as well. And also people transitioning from talk into guided, you know, once they get to a place where they can't quite get across what it is that the issue is. And I'll often say to people, well, without being able to see what you're doing, then here's what I think. Well, now that gives me the opportunity to see. And, you know, and and the problem is usually very quickly solved. Interesting. Very interesting. That sounds awesome. I have not heard of that kind of coaching before so that sounds awesome 
Well, thanks so much, Eric, for joining us on our podcast today. And uh, we look forward to promoting your articles and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. It was great. Thanks so much for listening. To learn more about Get Lusty, visit getlusty.com, follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Lusty, and have a lusty day. Thank you.